on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hacker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We bring you the latest OU football news, and then we preview the national championship game with Holly Rowe, and we finish up with our winners and losers of the weekend. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hostie, will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, January 9th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about Riverwind's gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of January, all you have to do is visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now we're recording this early Sunday afternoon. We got some stuff to get done tonight. So going a little earlier than normal here on Sunday. Ted, how we doing, my, my man? I'm doing fantastic. I cannot complain. Um, been a good weekend so far, and um, hopefully it's uh, been a good weekend for the Sooners. I There is a lot to talk about, right? Yeah. And with the way, with how active... Brent Venables and this staffer being in the portal, how aggressive they're being with everything in this kind of this short period of time that it all has to happen. We got a lot to get to. So I'm back home. I'm jet lagged as hell, but guess what? Over caffeinated and ready to roll. Don't worry about me. Graphic season continues. And the Sooners got the most important one they've got, right? Dylan Gabriel puts out the graphic announcing that he will return to OU for the 2023 season. Uh, Loved what the graphics said. Quote, the island boy found a home in Oklahoma, which honestly, it sounds like there's a country song there. Sounds (laughs) like there's something that, you know, that, you know, maybe our guy Toby Keith could work with that. Something. It may be more of a Kenny Chesney vibe with his love of the islands. But nonetheless, this this is massive news for Brent Venables and Jeff Levy. We expected it to be this way but for it to be official it is it's the biggest news this football team has got when it comes to the impact on the 2023 season just had to happen and did happen we can all now breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief no doubt yeah um it's uh and i know people have their their opinions of dylan gabriel and i totally understand we've seen some incredible quarterback play here um but 
whenever you strip everything back and look at what he did, considering, you know, some of the circumstances around him, um, I, I think he had just an absolutely stellar year. I think he was, I think the only person that beat him in total offense was Max Duggan in the big 12, number two in the big 12, uh, in a lot of categories. Um, I, I totally expect him to be better next year. I do. Now, there's a lot that has to happen, right? Uh, offensive line, we need to solidify that. But I think there's some good things happening perhaps uh, in that room. Um, I like what we have at running back. We got to get a little bit better there in some of the some of the other things that come with being a running back. But as far as carrying the football, I think we're going to be in a good spot. And, you know, we got to have some wide receivers. We got young, talented wide receivers and some, some guys have to step up. But I think experience um, – you know, a year in the offense, and I understand that he's got a background in Levy's offense, but you got to remember he was in another offense for two years after that with new language, new verbiage, and I'm not even – I don't – I'm sure Levy has changed some things in his offense as well. So it wasn't just, you know, boom, pick up where you left off. Now, he did have a, a head start, but carryover going right back into this next spring. Like, this should be a huge developmental spring – for everyone involved now that, you know, everyone's got a year in that system. So yeah, I, I think it's, um, I think it's great. I think it's going to be fantastic. It's, it's just so important to have that leader at the quarterback position during the off season as well. Like a guy that, you know, everyone knows, and, and I know we're all excited about Jackson Arnold and what he's eventually going to be at Oklahoma, but, you look at this offense, Dylan Gabriel is the unquestioned leader of the offense, right? And that has, there, there's just so much value in that, in, in winter workouts and in spring ball and in summer and training camp. Like it just makes everyone in the program more comfortable, right? Now, of course, you, you got to develop the position behind Dylan Gabriel, right? I, I would expect 2023 to be. His last season. I, I never know anymore how many years of eligibility these guys have left. I'm just like, oh, he's gone now. So he he, he no longer has the eligibility. But it just, I, I think this is something that just establishes stability, right? For transitioning from a really disappointing year one into year two, where I think on both sides of the ball, we're expecting to see a, a pretty substantial leap, but I understand people want to, you know, try to compare it. Hey, could it be like a Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams situation with Dylan Gabriel and Jackson Arnold? And I'm not trying to tell all OU fans how to feel, but let's hope not. Right. I mean, let's hope that Dylan Gabriel makes the necessary improvements. Let's hope that he addresses some of, the issues that resulted in some of the accuracy issues that he had. And, and let's hope that this guy plays in an extremely high level in 2023 and sets the table for Jackson Arnold moving forward and kind of what it looks like and what the expectations are. That's what I, I know. That's what I'm hoping for. Like that's how it goes down in a perfect world, but having a veteran guy that knows the system, that people look to as a leader at the quarterback position. It's just huge, man. It's massive. It is. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, you know, ultimately what you would like is for Dylan Gabriel to have an incredible season. 
um, and and kind of show the way for Jackson Arnold, right, to learn from Dylan Gabriel as far as how to handle yourself, handle the offense, um, you know, just the things that a veteran college quarterback knows that a true freshman doesn't. And there's so many new things being thrown at you. It's hard to it's hard to coach the finer details, right, with a true freshman. There's some things that just experience it just seeps in and you just slowly start to understand it. And if you're a true freshman, you're worried about the offense, you're worried about your reads, you're worried about, you know, how to call the offense, how to check at the line of scrimmage. You're learning you're worried about all of that stuff. Um, so it's hard to gather all of the the real finer details of the position, but you gather that from watching someone else do it, right? If you're just the if you're the starter and you're getting all the coaching, it's it's just an avalanche of things. But if if you are in in that second spot and you can pick those things up and catch the finer coaching points along the way, it makes you that much better of a player than going out there and trying to learn it all on the fly. And I think one thing that's extremely valuable, and this is something that we talked about with, with Jalen Hurts and Spencer Rattler a little bit. Like, think what you want about what Dylan Gabriel did on the field this year, but off the field, pretty, you know, pretty much a model citizen, right? Says the right things, does the right things from every indication we've gotten from his teammates and from the staff, from conversations we've had, leads the right way. Uh, I, I think that Jackson Arnold, we're all expecting that guy here in the near future to be the face of Oklahoma football, right? That that's what that's what comes with the quarterback position. But him not being thrown into that immediately it is not a bad thing. And him learning how to be the face of the program from Dylan Gabriel, like that's valuable as well. Now, I'm not trying to make it sound like Jackson Arnold is just gonna Come in here in January and be like, you know what? No, I'm happy. I'm the second quarterback. I'll just chill on the bench. Like, I I don't think that's how that young man is wired. But as far as learning the system and also learning all the other things that come with being the starting quarterback at Oklahoma from Dylan Gabriel, like that's valuable. And to learn it for, you know, from for lack of a better term, for like a chill dude like like Dylan Gabriel, I, I think that's that's going to be really valuable for Arnold as well. Yeah. Well, I, I just think in, it's it's not just quarterback, but you can look at quarterback and think of some stretch runs where we had incredible quarterback play. And a lot of that, there's a link there. Guys sat behind a really good player, watched him play, came out, did their thing. I mean, same thing happened at center. Uh, same thing has happened on the offensive line at other positions, or just if you think of it as a group, same thing has happened, you know, at, at, at different positions. So there's, there's a lot to learn by watching someone really good in front of you. So um, I think it's perfect to bridge the gap. Yeah, no, I'm with you now. While Dylan Gabriel announced he will be coming back. Marvin Mims has declared for the NFL draft and he had a really nice season. Uh, I know he had uh, some games, you know, just some head scratching drops and things like that. But you look at it at the end of the year, a thousand yard season for Marvin. I, I don't think he had the type of season that you and I thought he was capable of having 
in, in the system, but still, I mean, an extremely productive year. And I, I won't lie. I was really hoping he'd come back for his fourth year uh, because I think he, he could have had a monster year. I mean, 1400, 1500 yard type, uh, type year, but you know, I know this was not an easy decision for him. You got to imagine he's doing what he believes is best for his career, for his family, all that stuff. And off the field, and I know that a lot of the times we're just talking about these guys and what they do on Saturdays, but off the field, as mature as you could ask for, right? I mean, just great with the media, great with how he represented the program. He was he was awesome, right? Really honest and open about things, you know, and answering questions, that type of stuff. Got to be cheering hard for him to get drafted as early as possible and to have a tremendous NFL career. I just wish he was coming back for one more season, but that's, you know, me being selfish. Yeah. Yeah. He's, um, it leaves us in a scary position, you know, at wide receiver. Now we've got plenty of talent, right? We've got, you got young guys coming in. We've got some former transfer guys that are on campus. Um, you know, we've got some freshmen that were around and were able able to absorb some things and, and looking to, to jump into the mix this coming year, but we don't have anyone with a whole lot of returning production, you know, um, Jalil Farouk's coming back solid season from him, but, uh, I don't know. Well, he, he wasn't even 500 yard receiver, I don't think, or maybe he was right around that number. So it's somewhat scary. Now, uh, Drake Stoops is coming back. We know the role that he plays. He's going to be your your third down, work the middle of the field guy. He's going to, you know, you're going to run some reverse or some quicks and throw some bubbles to him. Um, every now and then they'll scheming on scheme him on a wheel route or something to take off. But, you know, he's he's not going to be your number one guy. Someone's got to step into that role. Now, I would prefer that someone with some size step into that role. and We've got some options there, but We'll see, man. It's, this is, to me, one of the – I think it was one of the the most underwhelming positions for this previous season. And I, if we really want this offense to take off, we've got to have some wide receivers absolutely show up. You and I uh, – let's just be real. We were a little alarmed with how teams played them towards the end of the season. Yep. They were not – they did not play defense, you know, from a coverage standpoint. They they were ultra aggressive, and you only do that when you're not scared of the the opponent's wide receivers. Yep. And there there were a lot of issues getting off press, creating separation uh, against man coverage. And now you're losing the one guy that you felt pretty good about running by people. So yeah, is it an ideal situation at wide receiver right now for Oklahoma? No, you look at it, Marvin Mims, he had doubled the wide receiving yards of the next guy. The next guy was Braden Willis at 514 yards. I mean, Farouk was 466, Stoops was 393, uh, Weiss was 378. There is a shocking lack of production returning at wide receiver. Yeah. It's just the truth. So, but so when you talk about what's it mean for the wide receiver room, 
Jalil Farouk's got to take the step, man. The leap, whatever you want to call it. He's got to go from being a solid guy to the guy. Jaden Gibson, time to figure it out, young man. Yep. Time to figure it out. Nick Anderson, stay healthy, figure it out. Gavin Freeman, right? you got to use his strengths, his speed, what he can bring to the table. Drake Stoops, we know what we're going to get from Drake, right? Now, is Drake ever going to be a 1,000-yard wide receiver? Probably not, but you would assume he's going to get a lot more targets now with Marvin not in the mix. You've got a couple guys that have taken visits right here recently in Norman. Andrell Anthony, the guy from Michigan, uh, the Bowling Green guy, Tyrone Broden, who's huge. He's like 6'7". But, you know, there's no official word on those guys yet. We should know pretty soon. Seems like those guys enjoyed their visits. But you look at the wide receiver room, man, and it is – I'm not trying to get anyone to panic, <laughs> but it, it's certainly not where Jeff Levy wants it to be. Uh, it's not – I can't remember – it being like this any time since I've been covering the team, and that would be 2012 to present. And, you know, that doesn't mean that we, like, we've got really good talent, okay? It's just we don't know if it's going to show up. We don't know if Nick Anderson's going to stay healthy. I don't know. Jane Gibson is has some incredible tools. I don't know why he was a no-show the whole the whole season. They that's, couldn't trust him. That's the weird thing. And, like, you know, being down there, the guy has – the guy's an emotional player, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he he had some emotional outbursts on the sideline. Guy wasn't even playing in the games. And coaches are having to calm down. It was just – it was like, hey, man, you got all the talent in the world. You got to be able to control all of that and go and make plays. Mm-hmm. They got to be able. The coaching staff has to be able to trust you. It makes no sense that he wasn't able to play a handful of snaps every game for him. Yep. Not with not with the physical gifts he's got. So whatever prevented him from getting on the field, right? What whatever the coaches saw to where they didn't feel comfortable putting him out there, he's got to change it. Bottom yep. line, because he's got the athleticism, the height, the length. Like he's got all the tools. So you got to figure it out. <laughs> like, I don't know what else to say about it. Like, figure it out. Yep. No, I agree. We'll see. And, you know, I, I do like the the couple of freshmen that we have coming in. Uh, Brown and Petaway. We'll see, you know, you know how I feel about freshmen. But wide receiver is one of the positions where freshmen can play, can make a big impact. So, be looking to see if those guys can jump, uh, jump in the mix as well. Yeah, with Petaway's speed, yep. you would assume they'll find some spots for him. Right. And then just from some people that have seen uh, Brown in person here lately, that guy, he, he looks the part. So we'll see. But I loved how you put that. You know how I feel about freshmen. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> well, that's, that's where they're, where, that's where this position's at right now. Yeah. It, and it's not, it's not anything against freshmen. It's just that they show up and they don't know what they're doing. You know, it's, that's just, that's just how it is. You want those guys, you want to be good enough and old enough and experienced enough to where your true freshmen aren't expected to do anything other than maybe step in and find some supplemental small roles offensively and defensively. 
And one of the things, like Marvin, even though he wasn't, he's not like a rah-rah guy, right? He'd become very comfortable in the leadership role in that room. Mm-hmm. Now, you other had other veteran guys, we, Stoops, like that were, they were more than willing to speak up, but Marvin was the best player in that room. And now all of a sudden you look at it, like Jalil Farouk, not a rah-rah guy, quieter guy. He's got to become more comfortable leading. Yep. He's got to speak up. Like this, this group, just as a whole, you know, you're going to have to feel that leadership void as well. So we'll see what ends up happening with some of the transfers that took visits. Um, got a couple freshmen that I know the staff are really, really excited about that are going to be in. So we'll, we'll see. But wide receiver needs to come along and come along quickly. I think, yep. is that the best way to put it? Yeah. It needs to be, this needs to be a very big developmental year. And and that's not just wide receivers, obviously, but that group is one that, that everyone's going to be watching. And hopefully we're hearing some good things come spring football, which is shocking to say is not that far away. It is right around the corner. <laughs> In fact, okay, a couple other things. A uh, couple days ago, CJ Colton declared for the NFL draft. And, man, the coaching staff was really hoping they could get him back for next season. He was a guy, Ted, he improved so much throughout the year, got his opportunity, and kind of in the back half of the season and really played some solid football, uh, The last, especially the last month or so of the season. We'll always have the interception against Kansas, man. We'll yep. always have that to remember him by, but dang it. I saw that the other day. It was on ESPN. They were running some type of – you know, season highlight list, and it was uh, it popped up there on the list. That was pretty cool. But he he's a guy that man. I really think he could have benefited from another year. I'm not trying to tell him what's best for him, but I think that uh, another season could have gone a long way for you know his football future, his, his draft position, all that stuff. But guys are making tough decisions, and unfortunately, a guy that I thought would would Definitely had a great chance of being a starter in the secondary next year. He's he's moving on. Yeah. Yeah. Good for him. Um, hopefully he gets drafted. Hopefully he he makes a roster somewhere. Um, but yeah, he came on strong at the end of the year. He was gosh, he he was the turnover guy uh down the stretch. Uh I, I honestly believe that probably the the biggest improvement from year one under Venables to year two under Venables is going to be the secondary. At least that's my hope. Um, I think we're, we're really deep and athletic at safety. That's going to be some great competition there. And corner is is going to be interesting. There's some some young guys that are going to get into the mix. we got a, a junior college guy, Kendall Dolby, coming in that's, that should be able to jump in in the mix right away. Um, I, I think the secondary is going to be tough. I'll, I really wish Colden was coming back, but I think there's a chance that this could be a really good group. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I just, like you said, like for the competition, for the sake of the competition, for the depth, it would have been nice. Would have been real nice. Yep. But hey, uh, hopefully, hopefully he gets picked. Hopefully he makes a team. Uh, hopefully we are seeing him make plays on Sundays. Couple other guys, Trey Morrison declared for the draft, which he was a guy that. You know, he he factored in some games, didn't I, – I don't think it went the way that he probably was expecting it to go when he transferred from North Carolina. Uh, I thought it was interesting 
he declared for the draft. But once again, I don't know who has eligibility left, who doesn't. Like, I, 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 I think he has eligibility left, but I, I think uh, I'm assuming similar to Colton, like he just, he thought, why not now and go see what happens, get into a camp and try to make a team, try to make a practice squad, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. He, he came on, he played some spot duty at safety there down the stretch, did some good things, but you know, it's just, it's another spot that, that one of these young guys, or, you know, we do get the veteran coming in from, from Texas tech. So it's, it's going to be competitive, you know, and a couple of older veterans dropping out means some young guys need to get some maturity real quick. Yep. Josh Ellison officially entered the transfer portal. We knew that was coming, but then he played in the bowl game. So it was, it was a pretty interesting situation there with Ellison, but he he's the guy that over the last couple of years really wasn't much of a factor in, in the 2022 season, had some nice flashes in 2021, but for whatever reason, never, never became a significant, even a significant rotational guy in 2022. So hopefully he lands somewhere, play some good football and, you know, kids that has a nice future ahead of him. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think Josh Ellison can play at a bunch of places. I agree. Um, you know, he, he's not going to be a, he's not going to be an all conference guy in a power five conference, but you know, he can, he can start, he could start most any, you know, mid tier power five type of school and obviously anything below that for sure. He's good, solid player. He's smart. He's reliable. He's consistent. I mean, he was one of the guys that they were talking about through spring and training camp as, you know, just checking all the boxes, doing everything that they asked of him. Yeah. So that was, that was one of the most confusing things because his name kept popping up, popping up, popping up when we were, you know, having, having conversations with the staff and just, I mean, faded. Yeah. Just never, never became a, uh, a significant, factor during the season okay a couple other things now there are a couple of transfer defensive linemen that have taken visits recently do we want to talk about them now or do we talk about them when they say they're coming if they say they're coming like that's that's the confusing part about all this like how excited should i be ted like that's 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 the confusing part well i i don't know uh i have all i've heard is some rumor stuff. I I don't have anything of real substance on anyone on the defensive side. Okay. Well, we'll talk about them then if they commit. How about that? That'd be good. Yeah, let's that's, do that. That's the way we'll handle it. A, a guy that did commit, uh, Miami of Ohio, offensive guard Caleb Schaefer has committed to the Sooners. This guy that was four-year starter there at Miami of Ohio, started 35 games. 6'5", 333 pounds, big physical guy. And with the fact that OU's offensive line, you're losing Chris Murray, you're losing Robert Conjol, Schaefer, you know, in a perfect world, he can be a plug-and-play starter, right? But if not, maybe he's a guy that kind of drives competition there in the interior and at the very least adds depth, right? You, you can never have too much depth in the interior of your offensive line. He's a guy that was a second team all Mac performer this season, but reached out to the old Miami of Ohio offensive line coach, uh, a person that several sooner fans 
may be familiar with. James Patton's their O-line coach. Really? Yeah. Okay. So I said, hey, that? Patton, this kid, I, I said, hey, man, can this this guy play at all? And yeah, he said, good player, uh, really consistent, um, at the very least going to add depth yeah. for OU. So I can't imagine Patton was thrilled that he's leaving. Right. But it, it seems like at the very least, uh, good added depth for for Bill Beatonbow. And I kind of view it as like, hey, if he's if he's like Robert Conjol, great. Yeah. Right? Great. Now hopefully he's he's a better player than that. But that he's that's the kind of measurables if, look look big. He's big dude. Yeah. Big dude. So I I have a feeling that he's got a nasty streak. I mean I'm sure he's a typical Beatonbow guard, but yeah, it seemed that that seemed like adding depth at a position of need for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The the offensive line, and I was about to say interior, but it's just it's really all of it. There's there's some good, you know, good quality um uh, possibilities there, but a lot of it is just uh we're gonna have to wait and see how this this offseason of development is. Like Guyton, he's he's got to get some maturity. He's got to, um, you know, continue to come on physically and also consistently uh, consistency. And I guess you could say the same exact stuff for Savion Bird. You know, um, high high ceiling, but got to be more consistent. Got to be a little bit smarter, and that that comes with experience. And he gained some important experience there at the end of the game. But you know, I'm 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 worried about center. Rame going to miss another developmental period uh, to work on strength, to work on uh, all the things that that he needed to work on because of injury. So I feel like it's been two steps forward, one step back with Rame for a while. And, you know, we, we need some, we need some depth at the center position. We need some competition. Yeah. Which is why uh, I think you've seen a lot of excitement about the possibility of UCF center. Matt Lee taking the visit. Supposed to be a stud. Supposed to be a really good player. I've seen I've seen some of his stuff, right? And this is some people may view this as good. Some people may view this as bad. He kind of reminds me a lot of myself. <laughs> it's like the That's, exact same size. Plays hey, pretty I, similarly. If we could get that type of play at the center position, I think everyone would be thrilled. He's he's ranked. I, I you know I was looking at some of the portal stuff. He's he's the highest ranked, whatever that means, uh, portal offensive lineman left in there, and and I think it'd be good for Rain to have some competition, right? I I don't feel like he's being pushed by really anyone. That's no, I mean no shot at any of the other guys on the roster, but it just he he's got he's a talented guy. If he can refine some of that technique, I, I think Andrew Rain could be a day two draft pick with his physical tools. If he could just put it all together, mm-hmm. I think he could be a, a, a third round, fourth round type guy. I really do. But he needs to have his job threatened a little bit. Yeah. That's good. That's a good thing that will get the best out of him and get in a guy that's played a ton of football at a, you know, in a good conference there in the Amer- the American, that may end up having, and you could always put, hey, get your best five out there, whether that's the Matt Lee kid playing guard or Rain playing guard. Like, it's all about creating that sense of competition 
and and just getting your best five on the field. So we'll see. I think the Lee kid, he took a visit to Miami as well. We know that Miami, they they're pretty good at doing what's necessary to uh to grab some of these some of these guys, but yeah, uh, hopefully his relationship with Dylan Gabriel and all that stuff, hopefully that can end up, you know, landing Matt Lee here at Oklahoma. I yeah. I don't know though. I haven't really heard anything on it. Well, supposedly there's a really good relationship with I think Lebby's the one that recruited him and got him to go to UCF. Um, so there's there's a, a history there as well. But, yeah, Miami, they've been getting some offensive linemen now. Wow. Their recruiting class at offensive line was incredible, and they've been stacking them up there. So that's – I imagine that's going to be the, the team to beat right there. But, yeah, that would be great. We've, we've got to add some depth there, and, you know, I'll – I, I think they're still probably trying to add some tackle depth as well through the portal. You you can never have too many tackles. No. Yeah, as we especially, as we showed last year whenever we played our fifth tackle in the bowl game. Yeah. Especially with Sexton blowing his knee out in the bowl game. Like that's when's he gonna be ready? Uh, I mean, just from my experience, it took about you know, ten months to feel good, you know, but everyone operates and you know recovers at a different speed so hopefully he can get back sooner and later but that did not that did not look good no. uh, against Florida State but do you think people are excited about what we just talked about or are we scaring people I'm trying to decide uh cautiously optimistic there we go okay good some good stuff in there but it's got to be it's got to be a productive offseason man it has to be yeah Okay, let's get to call your shot. We asked you guys the most important thing that happened this week for OU football. This first one comes from Aaron Woodard, who says, all of the enrollees staying healthy at their respective All-American games. That's a great point, right? We we talked about the Under Armour, yep. Under Armour All-American game and you know, kind of some of the things we had heard about those guys. What when did it when did did it become not the army all-american game when did the army lose the sponsorship don't know all-american is, bowl now like what happened it's weird i don't know that is not my expertise this would be the first year that i even i was aware that it was taking place <laughs> yeah well it i i saw some stuff of macari vickers that guy looks like he's gonna be he's a stud and the thing that stood out to me you know me Everyone else is, you know, looking at them, making guys miss. Just looking at the lower half, pal. Yep. Good. Good stuff. <laughs> Power yep. centers in place there for Vickers. Let's go. He's a stud, man. He's a stud. And, you know, the other guys that at the whatever the other one is played well. Quarterback played well. Uh, Adabari looks like an absolute freak show. Going to be fun. Yeah. No, it is. And... I saw some stuff about that, and he's kind of one of these guys that seems to be flying under the radar a little bit when it comes to people, guys that people are excited about of the recruiting class. But I was reading some articles about the All American Bowl, like people talking about the practice, and the Omasigo guy was getting some some pretty rave reviews. Everyone's saying that he this guy is an incredible player, and I think he started as a three star, right? Whenever he first committed and. There's a lot of people that were tracking it and, you know, 
in the recruiting world, it was kind of going around like, yeah, I think we undervalued this player for sure. So that's a good thing. Well, yeah, but a lot going on. Hopefully we didn't miss anything. I think we covered pretty much everything. Hopefully. Hopefully. All right, birthday shout-outs. Happy eighth birthday to Ellie Arnold. Is that right? Yeah, I think. Ellie Arnold. Happy 11th birthday to Ooh, good luck, Milana man. Vigil. Milana Vigil. Milana Vigil. 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 We're so good at this. Happy 15th birthday to Sonny and Ashley Ramsey. Happy 13th birthday to Blake Ranky. Happy 42nd birthday to Ryan Foshi. Happy 65th birthday to Robert Jennings. And happy half birthday to Heath Hornbeak. Will you open a can of worms on that one? Oh, boy. <laughs> I just, they send the DMs in. I just read them, Ted. <laughs> I just type them as they are, you know? I like it. I like it. All right, let's 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 talk national championship game with Holly Rowe. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including, yes, my favorite, Java Amore. That coffee is fantastic. Love's also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile-to-go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Love's Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Love's Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Love's Travel Stops. For a full list of what Love's has to offer, visit loves.com. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. And use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. Still get a discount on all the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. All right, here's America's most loved sideline reporter, Holly Rowe. It is our pleasure to be joined by the most loved sideline reporter in all of the just world, it seems like. And you have about 100% approval rate in the state of Oklahoma as well because of all your softball stuff, Holly. Holly Rowe is in the house. What's up? Hi. Well, as long as I'm the most loved by you, that's all I care about. Um, I, I'm, I'm just so honored to be on your podcast. I'm so proud of this podcast. You've made it so big, so amazing. And I listen all the time and I just am very honored to be on here. Well, we are, we're thrilled to have you. And I, I know you got a lot going on, right? With it being the day before the title game. So let's just get right to it. Let's dive into it. And Holly, the first question I've got for you is kind of what's the... What's the vibe out there in LA for this game? Like, does it feel like the national championship game? I'm always kind of skeptical when, when it's out in California, right? There was a weird, uh, when it was at Levi's there in Santa Clara and everyone was like, this is terrible. Like, how does it feel? 
It feels really good. I think because um, the team hotels are right downtown Los Angeles. Georgia is staying at the JW Marriott at LA Live. And like literally three minutes away, um, TCU is staying at the Intercontinental. So there's a ton of like stuff going on downtown. The LA Convention Center was the site of Media Days. So I would say there's buzz. Like everywhere you go, there's billboards, there's signage. And um, it's January and it's about 70 degrees and sunny today. I've just been outside. Um, we're right across the street from the beach and it's beautiful. And all of us are just like, oh, this is what life is like in January for many people in the world. I, I'll take it. So I think it's cool. Um, we went to the stadium yesterday to SoFi and it is so gorgeous. So I would say this is a success out here. That's my opinion. Now, I don't know that anyone would have picked that TCU would be the first Big 12 team to make the national championship in the uh, in the playoff era, but here we are. Um, you know, it, it felt like whenever they just got into the playoff that maybe it was kind of like a David and Goliath situation and, and now they've made the championship game. Does it feel like, does, does it feel like people are treating TCU as a massive underdog out there? Yeah, they are a massive underdog. I mean, Vegas says that right now. And I think a lot of people think that, but I'm, I'm really proud of myself. I'll tell you this because in November, Paul Feinbaum had me on his show and you know, that's an, an sec audience and people want to talk about sec football. And I said on that show in November, you all better get ready because TCU is going to be in the college football playoff. I had just seen them um, really physically dominate a Texas team that's that's big and strong. And I was like, TCU can play with anybody because they're this really unique combination of speed and physicality. Um, they are freaking fast. Can I swear on this show? We didn't get you absolutely after. can do whatever you like, Miss Rose. Okay, well, I'll be I'll be polite. They're freaking fast. I don't know that people understand this. So, Gabe, you'll appreciate this. I'm obsessed with the nose tackle for TCU, Dominic Williams. He is 18 years old, starting at nose tackle. And he's like 5'10", 5'11", 300 pounds. And he can run like a 4'6". And so when they push on the line of scrimmage, he'll like get off a block, overwhelm somebody with strength, and then run and chase down people with his speed. So it's not like just like the wide receivers and the running backs that are fast for TCU. The linebackers are fast. The nose tackle is fast. The left guard is fast. So I'm I'm not shocked at all. I don't know that they can win this game without Kendra Miller, their running back, being at full strength. He is a tough nose, physical, quick runner that I think changes their offense. Um, so if he can't play, I think that's a huge question mark for TCU. Would be the only downside. You've you've had TCU a couple times. You've had Georgia. Do you think, and this was the big question going into the semifinal for TCU against Michigan, right? Would they be able to hold up at the line of scrimmage? And not only did they they hold up, they won that battle at the line of scrimmage against Michigan. Do you think TCU's got a chance to hold up at the line of scrimmage against Georgia? Okay, that is the $100,000 question right now. I've just got to get this to read this out to you. Okay, so left tackle, six four three ten. Left guard, 6'7", 3'10". Right tackle, 6'7", 3'30". This Georgia offensive line is massive. I mean, when you look at them in practice, and Gabe, you know, you and I have talked about this. I'm like, every time I go to the SEC and I see Georgia's offensive line, I'm just like, this is big boy football. So it, it can strength overwhelm speed, right? Um, 
can guys play with good pad leverage? Sometimes when you get a defensive player, and, and Teddy, I'd be curious for you to talk about this, and Gabe, you too, because you were an offensive lineman. How does a shorter, faster, but still strong guy impact you on the line of scrimmage? That's not what you wanted. That those measurables she listed off of that nose tackle are it's built not like what a you fire want. hydrant. That's not what you want to be blocking. <laughs> no, right? Because he's under your pads and he's strong and he's in your. You know, it's not like your strength in a, center. In so. a perfect world, I would get defensive tackles that are six foot, that are strong as hell and have super long arms. In a perfect world, like that's that's what your D tackles are, right? But you know, I'd also take all these guys that Georgia has, at like <laughs> six four, three. You know, I I they're I'd take massive. Either, you, know? you know, like they're big, thick, booty guys with a big power center. They're just these massive offensive linemen. So I'm really curious about that. And then one other thing that I feel like everybody's missing and nobody's really talking about is um, Kenny McIntosh for their running back. Um, let me see what he said. This is good. He's like, I want to be the one that gives us a spark. And he did that against Ohio State. He's the kid that had that big, long run and then fell down with nobody tackling. You remember that play? But Dude, that was such some... a good call by Fowler. I know. <laughs> the turf monster got him at the two. Yeah, and Chris was like, touchdown. Wait, no. <laughs> he thought he was running in for a touchdown. But, um, no, he, he is a big, strong, physical running back that no – no one's talking about, like, have you heard anybody talking about Kenny McIntosh leading into this national championship game? Not only do I like McIntosh, especially what he can do catching the ball out of the backfield. I like Milton too. Yeah. Kendall Both Milton. of those dudes are NFL running backs. And I just don't think they get a ton of attention because their entire team is draft picks. Like for the most, you know what I mean? For the most part, but I think both of those guys would start pretty much anywhere in the country. Like they, Everywhere. they're that good. Yeah. So like, I feel like Georgia's running game isn't getting a ton of attention. Can TCU hold up against that? And then what other two, two other things I want to drop on you. So um, Georgia maybe doesn't have the most explosive wide receiver core right now, but there's a kid named Adonai. We've been saying his name wrong all year. He taught me how to say it right yesterday. So Adonai Mitchell, they call him AD. He had a big game against the Buckeyes. He had three catches, but it was for 129 yards. He's been out for nine games this year. So he's back. He's healthy. I think he is a difference maker in this offense, and that showed up against the Buckeyes. Um, and then the tight ends. You know you know Brock Bowers. Everybody talks about Brock Bowers. I thought Ohio State, for the most part, did a pretty good job on him. I didn't think he was a game changer, per se, although he had one play um, by staying in bounds that kind of changed the complexion of that game late. But I don't know. I just think Georgia has a lot of weapons. I, I really do. One of the big stories out there that a lot of people have started talking about is, you know, TCU runs the three, three, five defense and Michigan. It took them a long time to get acclimated to what it, what it's like and you know, how they, how they defend the run and just what it's like. And they don't blitz a lot. They sit back in coverage and it's just like, it's a little bit different of a style What's been the talk around Georgia's offense going up against that that strange TCU defense? I'm glad you brought that up. I think it's a big deal. I think it's a really big deal. Um, three or four of the Georgia kids I talked to yesterday at media day mentioned it. And the, the most important person that mentioned it was Stetson Bennett, the quarterback. He has been watching a ton of film. Um, he literally got off the plane. I was right at the airport when they got off the plane and he had his huge laptop with him. He watched film 
the whole five hour flight here because it's different. And I think his picture and what he sees is going to be very different. Um, not only that, but the closing speed of the secondary of TCU, right? So you get your picture, you think you know what you want to throw and what's going to be open, and then it's not open so quickly. And he did say something to me that I was like, well, let's see if this turns out to be true. He said, we play in the SEC, we're used to fast teams. And I was like, I think TCU might be faster than you're, than you're planning for. So that, I think that's a big deal. And uh, the offensive line talked about the three, three, five, like where's the block coming from. They've actually changed a lot of their technique this week and have been working on some drills on double teaming and, and who can double and who who's got who and who's picking up who, but you know, it just changes everything about the fits up front. Holly, I, I know that this is going to spark a very long answer because I know how much you like Max Duggan, but how, how crazy is this season for him? Ben, I mean, my good, and I, I will be the first to say, I think, I think TCU's got a pretty significant advantage at quarterback in the national title game. Like I, and I am a, I'm a Stetson Bennett believer. I think I give him a lot more respect than a lot of other people do, but I just think with what Duggan has been for TCU this year and what he can do with his legs after what we saw CJ Stroud do to Georgia's defense, I, I just feel like Duggan, he can have a huge game and he's going to have to have a huge game for TCU to be in this. I'm glad you said that. I've been actually dying like all year. I've wanted to call you and be like, can we talk about Max second in the year he's having? Cause you and I have been covering him, you know, since he was a, a baby at TCU and just the journey, you know, from having heart surgery to losing the starting job this year and how he handled that. Um, this kid is as, as impressive as anyone I've ever seen. I voted for him pretty high in the, in the Heisman trophy balloting, honestly. Um, he's a winner. And the things that Georgia might present defensively that could be an issue, Max is good at. So, for example, if Georgia's defensive line pushes the pocket back and, and collapses the pocket or or he doesn't have a ton of time, he's really good at hanging in the pocket and stepping up and, and being okay under duress. He can roll out and extend plays with his legs. I actually had a long talk with Max yesterday about when will he slide? Can he be smart about when he slides? And he said, I feel like the officials always jip you on the slide yardage, you know, because they mark you down from the beginning of where you started to slide. Max hates that. So he has to be really smart and not get knocked out of this game. Um, you know, like you have to slide sometimes or you have to run out of bounds sometimes. So I want Max to be super competitive, super tough and also super smart. Um, and then he cannot. And also realize that Georgia has some absolute creatures on defense that are going to try right. to take his head off. Exactly. That's the point. Yeah. Like you think you're tough and you are, and you have been, but you got to be really smart about what hits you take in this game. Well, that's going to be, I think that's probably the biggest factor win lose for TCU is what does he do with his legs? Uh, and you saw what uh, CJ Stroud did with Ohio state like that, that ended up being a huge factor. And that's not something that he typically does. And you know, I think a lot of people look at TCU's offense and and maybe feel like they can match up, but everything changes whenever the quarterback pulls it down and takes off running. Yeah, you know, all the numbers change. Um, you have to count for him as a runner, and that's something that Georgia's going to have to do. We haven't had our coaches' meetings yet. I'll talk with Kirby Smart here this afternoon. So I, I want to talk and get into that on how do you account for Max Duggan as a runner? What do you commit to him in the box do you spy him is he that much of a threat or you know how do you play that 
So I think that's an interesting piece of the game. Then another little fun battle that I feel like you two will appreciate. Um, so Alan Ali is the center for TCU. He's done a great job. He's a transfer from SMU. He came in, he already knew Sonny Dyke's system. So he has been able to really kind of transform that offensive front. Well, he's going to have number 88, Jalen Carter across from him. And I asked him about that. And he said, I want to play in the NFL. I'm not scared of him. I'm going to have to block guys like him all the day. I have, I have plans to play on Sunday. This is this is just going to be like what I'm trying to do in my life. And I loved that answer, right? Like he's not like worried about holding up against Jalen Carter. And now uh, this is breaking news. I'm only telling you guys, I was going to save this info for my game day hit tomorrow morning, but I'm going to give it to you because I love you guys. Um, yes. Jalen Carter did not play great against Ohio State. He was tired. He was fatigued. He was on and off the field. I don't think he um, had a high motor for a lot of the reps he was in the game. And I think it showed up. Do, do you guys agree with that? Definitely. Yeah. So I asked him about it and I said, okay, don't be mad at me, but I just need to ask you about fatigue against the Buckeyes. And he's like, oh yeah, I was tired. Like he totally owned it. He's like, I didn't, I didn't feel right. I wasn't in shape. And so every single day since the Buckeyes game, he's been running, he's been doing sprints. He's been doing long jogs. He got up yesterday morning before media day at 8am to run on the treadmill in the team hotel. So I like that Jalen Carter has taken some personal accountability for his fatigue against the Buckeyes. And he's had nine days to get in better shape. And I do think you can change your cardio and your, you know, I don't think it's that unthinkable that he can be in much better shape for this game. So I thought that was kind of cool story. He should have just told you he had the flu. <laughs> would have been better. He's like, no, I was sick. I was, I was dehydrated. Sick. Yeah, no, no, I just, you know. I, that That's interesting. And he he's got to be a big factor for them because clearly, I mean, everyone expecting him to be probably the first defensive tackle off the board in, in the draft. So I, I'm excited to watch him and Avila, the left guard for for TCU, who I think is going to be an early round guy as well. That's going to be that's going to be a fun battle. What what sense do you get of like the pressure that Georgia feels being as big of a favorite as they are? But not only that, but having the possibility to go back to back because we just, feel I mean, we haven't seen it. Right. I mean, we just don't no. see it a lot. Hasn't happened since 2011, 2012 when Alabama did it. It's rare. It's not like th this is a really hard thing to do to go back to back. There's so much that has to go right. I asked Stetson Bennett about it yesterday about the weight of expectation. And he said, I can't feel it. I can't worry about it. I, if I think about that, it will hurt me. And the only things I can do to prepare for this game are things that will help me. So that's what he's saying, which is a good answer. But I can tell you this, Kirby Smart has been really tight. Um, he feels it. Practice was unbelievable yesterday. Like he, he is on a microphone during practice because he always would lose his voice. And so you get to hear every single thing that Kirby Smart says at practice and the attention to detail. They're lining up in special teams to work on field goals. And he's like, Pay attention here. Pay attention. You think this wasn't important? Ask Ohio State if this kick is important. And like executing a kick at the end of the game to win a game. And um, it was an awesome practice. One of the best college football practices I've ever been to from an attention to detail standpoint. Then we go to TCU and they're playing all old school uh, hip hop rap from Cali. You know, it's like Snoop and, and all the guys. So it was loose and the practices are a little different in this regard. 
TCU does the Thursday kind of light walkthrough and then Friday is their shells kind of get ready for the game. So they were different styles of practice, but TCU's loose, they're dancing, they're having fun. Um, and I, I just remember thinking like, either this is really smart because they're loose and they're not, they don't feel the pressure or they're not understanding the moment that they're about to step into. And we'll, we'll see which one it is when the game kicks off. Yeah. That's, that's kind of goes towards what I was, was going to ask you is like, is there a sense that TCU, you know, they made the playoff, which is a huge accomplishment and, you know, they're, they're on house money at that point. Right. And then, they win the semifinal, they're in the national championship. Is there a sense that they're happy with making it no matter no matter what the result at this point? No, I think they believe they can win. And part of that reason is how they're winning, right? Like they dominated Michigan. I know Michigan came back and made some plays late in that game. But, you know, they're up big on Michigan, the Big Ten champs that had just trounced Ohio State. I think they feel like they are competitive with everybody and they have been this year. They really have been. Um, they have had a tendency to get down late early in games throughout the course of the regular season and have to stage these furious, dramatic comebacks. They can't afford to do that against Georgia, but Sonny Dykes told us a cool story. So he coached at Louisiana tech when they were 10 and 0 one year, and they had a chance to win a game to go to the orange bowl for the first time in school history. What really big deal for Louisiana tech. He said, I was so tight and anxious, and that's how my team played. Then he was at Cal. They were 7-0, played a tight, anxious game, and lost to Utah. Um, he said, one other example, what was it? SMU. He was at SMU. They were 10-0, and and again, felt the weight of that perfect season, was tight and anxious. So Sonny Dyke said, I cannot coach that way. My team feels it. So I'm telling you, he is chill. He is you know, if it's on the inside, he's not showing it, but he is making sure his team does not feel anxious. It's the power of the hypno toad for Sonny. <laughs> that's what he, that's what he's channeling. Now love it. I love we, it. we, in both the semifinals, awesome games, higher scoring games. Is, is that the type of game you're expecting tomorrow night? Are you expecting some points to be scored in this bad boy? Yeah. Big time. I think Quentin Johnson, the good TC wide receiver said it best. There's some holes in that Georgia defense. I don't think this is an elite secondary. And I, I don't mean that in a disparaging way. It's just reality. They've given up explosive plays. And I think TCU feels like they can hit explosive plays against Georgia. Can they run the ball against them? I, I don't know about that, especially if Kendra Miller can't go. Um, Amari DiMarcado is a six-year player. He's been there. I talked to him at practice yesterday. He's a big, thick running back for TCU. Can he take this challenge and this role and run with it against the nation's best run-stopping defense? That's that's a big question mark. But I do think TCU feels like they can hit some big plays in the passing game, period. The well, last thing I've got is what does it mean, if anything, if TCU wins the game for like the overall landscape of college football? Um, a Big 12 team goes in and, and knocks out the, you know, the Georgia team that's trying to go back to back. Uh, TCU's already making some really big waves in the transfer portal. Is Does it change any of the balance of power? I mean, I, I know it's not going to all of a sudden the Big 12 is the great conference, but does it do anything to the balance of power in college football at all? 
yeah, I think it's healthy for college football, right? I think if you look, um, people get SEC fatigue. And, you know, like, I don't have it because I appreciate the level of football that's played there. And I, I just think it's awesome. And they get good players and they do a good job developing those players. But outside of the SEC footprint, people are sick of it and they don't want to hear about that. So I think it would be healthy for college football to, sh to show some parity and to show that there's good football being played outside of the South. Um, I think Michigan, the way they lost, that that was bad for the Big Ten. Ohio State, you know, I felt like they were more competitive for sure. And I think if Ohio State, I'm, I'm going to still double down on this. If they would have had Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams available for that game, and then their tight end got hurt early in the game, and then, of course, Marvin Harrison went out in the fourth quarter. Like, if Ohio State had their weapons for that game, I still think Ohio State was the best team in the country this year. I, I really believe that. But they just had a really bad injury situation at the wrong time. Um, so I think it's good for college football when more team, the more teams that are competitive and are in the conversation, the better for college football, period. Last question I've got for you. And it's about just covering the game. Best part about covering a national title game and worst part. There's no worst part. It, it's like the dream come true. Like I... I'm a little person that I was five years old when I went to my first college football game. And I, I would tell you college football is probably the longest, most important relationship of my lifetime outside of my family. Like <laughs> I'm not joking. Game? I'm not joking. Uh, BYU Hawaii. Oh, nice. yep. Like in the 19 and the 1970s, late seventies, BYU was really good quarterback Gifford Nelson. Um, you know, I remember it vividly. And so I've just been in love with college football ever since then. So like, I was sitting on the sidelines last yesterday at practice and Claude Felton, the longtime sports information guy from Georgia and Lauren Smith, their longtime beat writer. And he's just an amazing guy. We're sitting there and I looked at both of them. They're in their seventies. And I was like, I just want us to sit here and have a moment together of how far all of us have come and how special this is that we together at the national championship covering Georgia. It's just really cool. I started bawling like this you so crying the way. Uh, yeah, you, you know me well, but um, I'll never take it for granted. It is an honor of my lifetime to be here in these moments. So the, the best part is I've worked really, really long and really hard to be here, and I'm proud of myself. You should be, girl. You're the best. Good. Now, I, I said last question. I do have one more. And okay. I'll, I'll give Kirk Herbstreet credit. I think when you're having to call your alma mater, in a game that's as tight as that semifinal game was between Ohio state and Georgia, it couldn't have been that easy to remain neutral. Did he handle that loss? All right. I thought that so. Had, yeah. That had I mean, to be devastating. An attachment. You cannot deny your attachment to places. Like I felt the same way covering Utah in the Rose bowl. I want them to do their best and do well, but I'm also going to cover Penn state and celebrate Sean Clifford going out on top. And you know, like I want to make sure I'm that, unbiased where I can celebrate both things. I think Kirk handled it really well. Like, I don't know if people remember, but his son is on the team. Um, his son plays for Ohio state. So I think he is very, very classy that way. I think he handled it very well. Um, he, he just does a great job. I just really respect him. And then Chris Fowler, again, like we have a cool, a cool team. I think it's been really special this year. Could you imagine us having to do that, Ted? <laughs> There's no chance. <laughs> no. No neutrality going on at all for me. <laughs> I mean, there's, but there's a difference of what you, what your heart wants and the insides of you want. 
and and being able to put that aside while you do your job i think it's possible it it's yeah. challenging you know like it is challenging but i think it's possible yeah there's no doubt well have a great call tomorrow we'll be watching love you love you so much thank you for having me it's a great honor thank you guys that woman knows some ball man she's got the inside intel uh that's good i I man, I honestly believe it's shaping up to be a really good game. I mean, I know I know Georgia's a big favorite, but I think it's going to be a really really exciting football game. I really wish Kendra Miller was healthy. I know that he's. I I don't think people realize how just how good of a player he is. But this is where I'm at with it, man. Duggan's got to be special. It has to be. An iconic type performance. Yeah. Max Duggan. And is he capable of it? Absolutely. And I hope we get it, man. Cause I would it's weird. I I think I want TCU to win. Yeah. Do I? What's I do. what's best for OU? Because we're going to the SEC. We're going to be competing against Georgia year in and year out. TCU's DFW area. Like it's almost like uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, you know what I mean. I think it's I think it's better if TCU wins for Oklahoma. That's where I'm at. But I'm I not agree. sure. I think I, I I I typically say like I'd rather just Alabama win it. If Oklahoma's not going to win it, just go to the cooked in team that everyone al- already thinks is the best. You don't want to start to spread the wealth, but I think this situation is different. Okay. For, for some reason, and I I can't even explain it. Maybe are we are we sure Georgia's not the new Alabama? They might be, not according to Alabama's recruiting class. They're not. That's true. <laughs> well, Saban still got it. Yeah. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the weekend. But first, Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School represents a tradition of educational excellence in Oklahoma City. Grounded in a faith-based education, students prepare to meet their potential with an individualized academic path that strives for success. Bishop McGinnis offers a college prep curriculum that includes 22 AP courses, participation in OSSAA Athletics, where they've won over 100 state championships in numerous clubs and organizations for students to join and grow. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. And attention, business owners. You need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way. To protect your business, best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the weekend? 
and I had to go with Florida State. Now, we knew that Jordan Travis, quarterback, was coming back. We knew that their leading rusher, Trey Benson, was coming back. And we knew that their leading receiver, Johnny Wilson, was coming back. Um, They got some good news. And I don't know what they expected down there, but kind of comes as a shock. Jared Verse has decided to stay at Florida State. And the latest ESPN mock draft has him going at number 11. So that's rare that you see a guy that is picked to go that high decide to stay for another season. Now, the other players that stayed and want to do something special made the decision a little bit easier for him. But, you know, he said money was a big factor. But the biggest thing for me is what can I improve on? And I had to look at myself and say that I've still got a bunch to do. I still got a bunch I could be better at. And and that's what I'm looking at going forward. So that's huge news for Florida State to get him back. Now, you and I had talked privately about Jared Verse. He's good. I, you and I, I, he didn't look like a top 15 pick to us when we watched him on tape. And I'm guessing, I, I think he got some good advice because I think he's got the tools to go top 10. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have the tape to go top 10 yet. Right. And I would assume that Florida State is taking care of him from an NIL perspective. So he's not, it's not like he's going to be playing for free. Right? Right. Yeah, there's the risk of injury. Of course there is. But I think this is a good example of a guy that I think would have ended up being drafted later in the first round than he anticipated. Maybe doing himself some serious good, making himself millions and millions of dollars by coming back and playing another season. Especially if Florida, like, I think Florida State probably wins the ACC next year. And they got a chance to make the playoff. Like that's what I was about to say, there's a really strong chance they make the playoff. And if that's the case, it's just to have that spotlight. Everyone's always going to go back and look at the film and all that stuff. But when you're playing in big games in front of everyone, it draws the attention and people I've always said this. You've heard me say it before. They start to look at your 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 tape differently. Instead of looking at it and finding ways to knock you, they look at it to try and find ways of how can we make him better. And I don't know. I think if Florida State goes out and has a special season next year, he could he could really cash in. So, yeah, could end up being a great decision for him. But there's also risk there. A lot of risk. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> That dude was playing at Albany two years ago. Crazy. And they, it sounds like they took a risk on even bringing him in because he had hardly played any high school ball either, right? Is that what the case was? Well, he's like a tight end, I, I think. It's worked out. <laughs> yeah. The guy can, his Albany highlights are hilarious, by the way. If you haven't seen him, go check out. It's just like, it's like watching a, you know, you know, in, like sixth and seventh grade, there's the couple guys that have gone through puberty when everyone else has it. Right. That's what it looks like. It's pretty, it's pretty good. <laughs> that's great. But yeah, that's huge news for Florida state. And I'll, I can just tell you people right now, they are going to be, they're going to be a dark horse playoff pick for a lot of people that cover college football. 
heading yep. into next season. That's and, that's going to be a popular thing, and rightfully so. You know, I think yeah. uh, I think rightfully so. They they've got the biggest thing when you have your quarterback coming back like they do, and he's a dual threat guy, and then your leading rusher and leading receiver. It's hard to really turn your nose up at that with uh, with Florida State, and those schedules always tend to be. Um, I don't know. How do you say? I guess they uh, they seem to be winnable, I guess, is uh, maybe the way I should put it. My only hope for Florida State is, you know, all those injuries that were creeping up in the Cheez-It Bowl, hopefully they're able to uh, to avoid those throughout the 2023 season. Yeah. Yeah. Stop faking uh, injuries, Florida State. Yeah. It's something that we uh, we need to get a grasp on for sure. Yeah. All right. Who do you have as your loser? of the weekend gotta go with Oklahoma state and it is uh it's gotten pretty bad Oklahoma state is um they are bleeding players right now and it's not just down roster guys it is it's guys that are big contributors for them um you know leading leading guys in those categories for them it's been it's been wild to see how many how many guys have transferred out. Uh, Johnson at wide receiver, Bryson Green at wide receiver, um, what John Paul Richardson. I mean, there's just the list goes on and on for guys that have transferred out. And obviously, we know that the defensive guys, um, you know, they they lose a a great backer, they lose a a rush guy, they lose their quarterback. It's wild, man. I've I don't know that I've ever seen anything like this since the portal has started. We've seen teams lose a lot of guys, but this many uh this many key contributors, I don't know that o- Oklahoma State like they've had some transfer guys come in, but I, the their like their philosophy, their style has been gather guys up, get some experience and then like every three years or so they ramp up with all the experience on their team. Well, they're losing it all. I don't know how you recover from this. I, I, I wonder like what's going on. There's gotta be a catalyst, right? There's, There's gotta, gotta be, be something. something, whether it's, and I know that the fan base, they'd criticize Casey Dunn a lot. He's the receivers coach and the coordinator. And you look at, all the receivers being in the transfer portal. That's strange. And, and I know that Spencer Sanders put the kind of, you know, the hand over mouth laugh emoji out there, deleted it really quickly, which dude, once you put it out there, might as well keep it up. Everyone's going to screenshot it anyways. But I, I do find it odd that he hasn't landed anywhere yet, but yeah, I, I think John Paul Richardson is the one that a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, really? Yeah. Because I, I think he was the captain for their bowl game. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on, but. Yeah, I, I I think it's 15 guys, and a big chunk of those 15 guys are contributors. Like, the, they're players. They're not, it's not three deep guys and guys that haven't played for you that are looking for a place to go get some reps, man. It's It's wild. It's your quarterback, your best, you know, I mean, your most productive player on defense, Mason Cobb, and then all your best wide receivers. 
other than Presley, right? Now you lost one Presley. You haven't, as far as I know, Brendan Presley still still in the mix there at Oklahoma State, but who knows? At some point, he's probably going to be like, well, dang, uh, maybe I should bounce too. But Lost hey. Jabbar Muhammad, your best court cover guy, when he's going to Washington? Uh, Oklahoma State fans have to be freaking out. I know. I know they're not happy with Gundy right now, and I like I don't know I don't know what the details are. I don't know why guys are are jumping shit, but man, got to be frustrating. It it definitely. Uh, I mean, it's it's weird. All right, let's get to my winner and loser. But first, First Fidelity Bank is a full service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs: checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit FFB.com for more information. And if you're a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you are doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. You got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. And that is why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. It's big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember, in 2012, Balcones Single Malt won the best-in-glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owner's are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit balconiesdistilling.com. All right, for my winner of the weekend, I thought about going with Broncos fans. It was a long season, but I guess they've got a little hope. Saints gave Broncos permission to interview Sean Payton. Sean Payton already said that he's talked to ownership. Now, I guess nothing in an official capacity can happen until I think it was, what, January 17th or something like that. But after the disaster that was Nathaniel Hackett, that they have to feel a little better, right? Knowing that Sean Payton's even interested in talking to the team. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm shocked he's interested in talking to him. I I didn't think anyone was going to go uh, take that job with how how limited they are right now moving forward. The future is like, if you don't get. Russell Wilson figured out to where he's playing like he was previously, like it's going to be really hard to turn that thing around. So, Hey, if, if Sean Payton's interested, they're in, they're in a good position. So yeah, I think that qualifies him as winner. I, I do wonder all the Sean McVay stuff. Like, it seems like he's going to be done, huh? It's wild. I, I mean, if you're Sean Payton now, I guess, their their mantra's been F them picks for a while. It's not like they are in a great situation moving forward either, but I don't know. Lincoln Riley. Denver or LA? Denver? Got a better defense. Yeah. 
I don't know, man. I that's I don't know I don't know their their future situation as much as I do Denver's. Like Denver has they've got some serious salary cap issues with Russell Wilson's contract and they've got some serious draft issues. So and I know I know the LA's got roster issues too. They they're paying out a ton of money. So I don't know. Yeah. But hey, Sean Payton seems like he'll probably be coaching somewhere next year. But no. And I will say, and I was only with the Saints for, you know, a brief blip. He's a really fun guy to play for. Yeah. And the dude is smart as hell. He is. When it comes He's to offense. Great and, track record. Yeah. And little season off to get rejuvenated. He's got a tan now and everything. He look, looks pretty good. Looks like he's enjoying life there on TV, but he's going to be a hot name this off season. Yeah. But my winner of the weekend, the Kansas city chiefs did it again, man. Smacked the Raiders around 31, 13 in Vegas. Chris Jones was rooting in Jared Stidham's life. <laughs> Mahomes was, I mean, just being Mahomes, but Chiefs showed the ultimate sign of disrespect. Whatever that like merry-go-round thing they were doing, and then went and ran a trick play for a touchdown. I mean, I was. That's when you have. They were like, "We can do whatever we want. We'll still beat the Raiders." That's what that told me. But that was actually a really cool play. Now it was. It was fantastic. They kind of got lucky scoring the touchdown on it, but. They had it front side. You know, if they would have just kept that play front side, they probably would have walked into the end zone too. But I think that they should use that more often. That was interesting. I Because everyone's just kind of caught standing there with their mouth open, like what in the hell is happening? Uh, you you got to be selective with it, but they pulled it off flawlessly. I, I need to ask Blake. I need to know what the origin of it was. Yeah. And I'll ask and report back. But like, do you think Travis Kelsey during practice one day is like, hey, once we all just run around in a circle? Or do you think it was one of the coaches? Do you think it was an Andy Reid creation? I don't know. I need to know. I don't know. It's it's a good question. I'd like to know too. It was cool. But I got a kick out of it. But hey, they're the one seed. And it's Massive because you get a bye, right? And so they clinched the one seed in the AFC. There were a lot of new pieces on that team from a year ago. Lose Tyree Kill, go 14 and three. Yeah. I mean, Mahomes is that dude. And they've, uh, I mean, they've done a really good job of drafting, uh, keeping guys that are just really good football players and just fit into the system. And do we do you understand what's happening with the NFL playoffs and the locations and everything? I, I'm kind of just to the point where I saw what they put out and it was one of those, hey, y'all just let me know where the games are being played when they happen and we'll go from there. Yeah. <laughs> like the the AFC championship, we don't know where it's gonna be. Like what you I'll be pissed if they play a neutral site AFC championship game. That's just stupid. Don't do that. I, I know. And I know Cincinnati is all upset about like what went on. Like, and I, and I understand their point of view. It's weird. There's no easy way to do it, but neutral site does not seem like the right way. No. And 
I know it all stems from the DeMar Hamlin situation. And hey, did you see that video of him FaceTiming the team? Oh, yeah. That's, that's the stuff. Fantastic. But I, I guess if you're the Chiefs, hey, yes, hosting an AFC championship game is clearly very important, but the most important thing is getting the bye. Yeah. But that's that's the most important thing. But we'll we'll see what it ends up looking like there in the AFC with you know, where these games are going to be played, but I'm sure it'll shake out. I, I'm sure whatever's decided upon, no one will complain or be upset at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. going to be a disaster. I will. Last thing I'll say about the Chiefs, Mahomes got to win MVP, right? <sighs> Hurts got hurt at the wrong time. Probably. I really do think Jalen Hurts was going to win MVP until he got hurt, until the yeah. shoulder. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to, you can't really justify anyone else. I mean, Josh Allen, he's been awesome, but I think you look at the numbers like Mahomes is, he's just that dude, man. Yeah. I don't it, really think there's anyone else. No, with their record and like he's thrown for 1200 more yards than Josh Allen has. Just insane. And 10 more, nine more touchdowns and less interceptions. So, I, unfortunately, I think the answer is yes. It's Mahomes. Yeah. One seed and MVP, and unless they make him play a neutral site AFC championship, I still don't think the guy will play to a playoff game away from Arrowhead. It's crazy. Not too bad. Yeah. Other than Super Bowls, of course. Right. But, Chiefs are good. Very. Very. All right, for my loser of the weekend. Thought about going with your favorite guy ever, Ted, old Jim Harbaugh. And, and I guess there, right before we started recording, there are some reports that he might interview for that Broncos job. And even though he's like, oh, I fully intend to be emphatically coaching Michigan or whatever the hell he said in 2023, NCA investigations, Ted. It's weird. Is that is there really any truth to the hamburger thing? I don't know where that started, but it has spread like wildfire. I haven't seen any like legit reporting. No disrespect to the Twitter verse, but it's like I haven't seen someone from ESPN or like the Athletic or one of those put it out. Have you? No, but okay. if, if if that's what it ends up being, and they found that, like supposedly they found the receipt, and he lied about it, and that's like what the deal is, then it's stupid as hell on the NCAA, and it's stupid as hell on Jim Harbaugh. Why, if you make seven million dollars a year, are you using an expense report? And a company card to buy a hamburger for someone that you shouldn't be buying a hamburger for. You cheap bastard. Pull out some cash and drop a 20 on it. That's all you <laughs> got to do. Are you really going to lose a $7.5 million job because you're so cheap that you're going to expense report your your lunch with the recruit? So stupid. You deserve it. If that If that's what it is and that's what happens, you deserve it. I love your take on this. It's not <laughs> who cares about the rules. No one cares. It's like, 
If you're that cheap and stupid, you <laughs> yeah. you deserve. Go coach the Broncos. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good location for you. Oh, that's funny, man. But yeah, we'll see what ends up happening with the, with that. The NCA they have very little power left, so they may try to make an example out of old Jim Harbaugh. We'll we'll see. But my loser of the weekend, Tennessee Titans, man, that is a brutal way to lose a game in general, and it is a brutal way to lose a game that results in you missing the playoffs. And the Titans weren't going to do anything in the playoffs. That's fine. But Josh Dobbs has played really well. You're up three with, you know, three minutes and some change to go. You got a third down. Sack, strip, fumble, scoop and score. And the eventual win for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're coming on, baby. They are. A- Doug Peterson. What, they finished, I uh, think, seven and two in their last nine? Coming on strong. I like it. It's and, good and stuff. And Trevor Lawrence wasn't even that good in this game, but he's he's shown some signs of you know, being, being what everyone thought he was going to be. But the Titans, and I think everyone that you talk to from a football standpoint, when it comes to who are the best head coaches in the NFL, Vrabel's in that conversation with pretty much everyone you talk to. And they lost their last seven, man. It's been incredible, the job really that he's done there, and he hasn't had a quarterback that you would consider to be even in the top ten, right? Right. Probably not even close. So, like, for Tennessee, like, they've kind of – I think they've exhausted what all they can do without a quarterback. they got to find a quarterback. Yeah, and I'm guessing that Vrabel's going to have more control because, remember, that was yeah. that whole weird situation. They fired their GM, and but the Jags end up winning the AFC South, man. That was that was impressive, and it's, value, it's going to be valuable experience for Trevor Lawrence and that team. Go play in the playoffs. And the only other thing about that game is it appears Derrick Henry's been working on his stiff arm. <laughs> My <laughs> God. He's still just an absolute freak show of a player. Awesome. He's fun to watch, but yeah, kind of really, really rough stretch to finish the year for the Tennessee Titans. But hey, we'll see what these NFL playoffs looks like. I'm looking forward to it. It feels very wide open. I I got, yeah, it feels wide open to me. I don't know about you. No, I agree. I agree. On that note. Episode 281 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Wednesday. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great week. Until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.